Thanks, Eric, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. It's a privilege to be together on this sunny, rainy, sunny, rainy, sunny day uh, as the weather changes every couple minutes, uh, which is beautiful. The variety is a gift in the springtime as new life is all around us. We're continuing a series uh, of the I am statements of Jesus, what Jesus declares regarding his own character and nature. So please take a moment with me, and we'll pray together before we look at the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we'd like to thank you that we are granted the privilege of gathering within the sanctuary of these walls to listen for your voice. We pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us uniquely as individuals. We recognize that we gather here with all different states of heart, joy and peace and anxiety and hope and fear and pain and sometimes a mixture of all in one heart, and yet you're able to meet each of us. Thank you for that. Would you do that now, Father, as well, asking that you would shape us to be a community that represents your heart in our city and in our world. Commit these moments to you, Father, as we prepare to meet you at your table. With gratitude, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. We're studying uh, this morning Jesus' declaration as the good shepherd, so it's appropriate that I begin by talking to you about baboons, of course, and that's what we'll be doing just for a minute. I want to tell you about Robert Sapolsky, Stanford neurologist uh, who uh, studies stress uh, in baboons in order that he might articulate principles regarding stress in humans, and if there's any under stress in the room, and that could be possible, then this would be appropriate for you to listen to. Uh, what Sapolsky discovered uh, is, a, is a herd that uh, he began to study intently that was really run by mean alpha males, right? They were competitive, they were dominant, they were controlling, they punished anyone who kind of roamed outside of their control. And the result of that super high levels of cortisol uh, in the bloodstream of both the followers and those alpha male baboons. Everybody was under stress, the leaders and the followers, right? Now, what's interesting is Sapolsky writes this, and I'm quoting him directly now. He says, these alpha baboons in suits and ties would probably have done a passable job running a Wall Street firm. <laughs> or if they had a black turtleneck, they could be in a Silicon Valley startup. And in fact, he goes on to say, parallel research shows a parallel distribution of cortisol among workers in many companies, particularly one study is cited among British civil servants working under leaders. And the point is, everybody is under stress, and there are a couple of keys to this. One is that the stress is about control and an attempt to dominate players and to exert control. But there's also a key point about chronic stress. In this baboon society, aggressive behavior and punishment are an unrelenting way of life, and that's the way it was for these baboons. And some of us in the room are thinking to ourselves, amen, I have a boss like that, right? Or a parent like that. Or, uh, you know, some leader and authority figure in our lives, a spouse like that, perhaps. And, and, and so then the question on the table is, wow, is there a way out of this? And what's interesting is in this particular uh, group that Sapolsky was studying, all of these alpha male baboons died of a disease. All the leaders got sick and died, right? And then what happened is the baboon colony reorganized and it was more egalitarian and less hierarchical. And, and interesting then, these cortisol levels that were so high, they went down and everybody lived happily ever after. It was like Beauty and the Beast all over again. I mean, there was just, you know, stars in the sky. All, peace prevailed 
And, and so Sapolsky then uh, theorizes that the nature of those in authority in our lives become a major determinant as to whether or not we know stress or peace. The nature of authority in our lives. In other words, if the authority over you is domineering, demanding, controlling, uh, quick to punish, always right, unteachable, then you're going to be under a lot of stress. And the problem is that's many, 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 many people in the world living under such authority, right? So, so if the nature of those in authority in our lives is a major determinant regarding whether we know stress or peace, the thesis of what Jesus is saying to us this morning is that it doesn't matter who is in direct authority over you, your final authority is not that one. Your final authority is Christ. And Christ is, and this is very important, the, with a definite article, good shepherd. Christ is a good shepherd. So, so if I'm living now in relation with Christ in a vital, experiential way, if Christ is really my shepherd and I'm receiving my shepherd as one who is good, if that's true, then I know peace in my life. And of course, we just read it in Psalm 23, right? Like I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because I have a shepherd and my shepherd is good. This doesn't mean that my life is without problems, but it does mean my shepherd is good. And so here's the question on the table this morning. Is Jesus good? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And of course, Jesus answers his own question when he says, I am the, with a definite article, good shepherd. But what Jesus does then in the subsequent verses in John chapter 10, which is our study text this morning, is he explains the forms in which this goodness uh, presents itself. In other words, here's how I'm good. I'm good because I, I, I offer sacrifice. I'm good because I live in solidarity with the sheep. And I'm good because I have intimacy with my sheep. So I'm good by virtue of sacrifice, solidarity, intimacy, three ways in which the shepherd is good. So let's look at these three things together, beginning with sacrifice. Verse 11 of John 10, here's Jesus. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, it's very important that we just stop here and ask some very basic questions because that statement that Jesus just made, totally counterintuitive. Think about it just for a minute. What do you mean you're a good shepherd and you lay down your life for your sheep? It's counterintuitive because on face value anyway, the value of a shepherd resides in the shepherd's capacity to be with you, right? What does a shepherd do? A shepherd guides, seeks, feeds, heals, cares for, nurtures. And oh, by the way, if the shepherd is dead, none of those things are going to happen, Right? So, so here's Jesus, hey, I'm good, and here's how you know I'm good, because I'm dead. Uh, so the disciples didn't understand this, and yet it's precisely the challenge of the gospel. The disciples did not see the value of a dead shepherd. So that when Jesus said to Peter, hey, Peter, you know, uh, here's what's going to happen. Uh, 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 I'm going to be arrested and, and tried in the middle of the night, you know, and then hung on a cross and I'm going to be executed. Very soon, Peter, I'm going to be executed. Peter, don't you love this? Peter takes Jesus aside. Jesus, son of God, creator of the universe, all-knowing, perfect, all that stuff. It says Jesus took, uh, uh, Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked P uh, Jesus. That cracks me up. Yeah, here's Peter rebuking Jesus. Yeah, you got it all wrong, man. <laughs> Let me tell you how it's going to be. And what he says is, I, look, I'm going I'm to fight for you. We're going to surround you. We're, you know, we'll take our swords. We'll, like, we're going to beat up on the Romans. 
We'll die with you. We'll die for you. You will never die. And of course, Jesus says, oh, by the way, you're Satan. <laughs> Get out of here, right? A little more complex than that, a nuance, but that's really what he says. So, like the disciples didn't want Jesus to die. We don't want Jesus to die because here's the thing. In our world, in our paradigm, dying isn't winning any more than losing is winning, right? Hey, the ducks, they lost by one. Hello, they lost. That's all that matters, right? And if you lost, you're out. So, so dying isn't winning. And if dying isn't winning, then uh, we, you know, we have a problem here in our paradigm because dying isn't inspiring either. And in fact, the death of Jesus precisely led to the scattering of the flock in precisely the same way that any flock would scatter. If a lion roared into a sheep camp and killed the shepherd, the sheep would run away every time. So when Jesus says, hey, I'm the good shepherd, and here's how you know I'm good, I die while the sheep are still alive. Like in what sense is that good? Well, there are many reasons for the good shepherd being good by virtue of his self-sacrificial death. But the one that I want to consider today has to do with Jesus' commitment to putting an end to violence in this world. Because we live in a, in a world in which conventional wisdom is this, kill or be killed, dominate or be dominated. Look, you go to work, there's a pecking order, and we all hear this, right? We're, we're, you know, we're trying to climb the corporate ladder, and if you get the promotion, somebody else doesn't, and if you win, they lose, and if you live, they die. That's the way the world works. And so, you know, the strong survive, the weak are gone. It's kind of Darwinian in a sense, and, 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 and we've kind of accepted it, and we have coping mechanisms to deal with this, but in reality, this is a competitive world, and you better be strong, eat or be eaten. It's the way it works, Right? So, so Jesus comes and he teaches us in the midst of that, oh, you've heard it said, right? Uh, love your friends, hate your enemies, because if you don't hate your enemies, your enemies will kill you. Love your friends, hate your enemies. Jesus says, oh no, I'm telling you now, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In fact, treat your enemies with kindness. In fact, if your enemy strikes you, don't strike back. Let them hit you again. So uh, this is counterintuitive, and yet it, the eternal principle here that Jesus is trying to teach us, so very important, violence will never ultimately be defeated by violence. This is very important that we understand this and wrestle with this. So I'm going to say it again, violence will never be defeated by violence. Should be self-evident, right? Because if you use violence to defeat violence, though you have defeated someone, you've actually created more violence. And so it doesn't matter how well you justify your violence, it's still violence. Violence remains. So in contrast to that paradigm, kill or be killed, eat or be eaten, is the way of the shepherd. And our good shepherd, ironically, self-refers uh, to himself in Isaiah 53 as a lamb. So here's the shepherd, but he's not just the shepherd. In Isaiah 53, Jesus says, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, a sheep that is silent before its shearer, so he did not open his mouth. Christ, when he died, didn't fight back at all. He could have. Had he fought, he would have won, but he didn't. If you've ever seen a sheep uh, be executed, right, with their throat slit, like if you hold a sheep and you, you've seen the shepherd do this, and they slice the throat to drain the blood into a basin, when that happens, the sheep does not fight. The sheep just willingly allows the shepherd uh, to do this deed, same thing when the sheep is having the wool sheared. They're not fighting back. If you ever try to kill a chicken, you know it's different. <laughs> Chickens fight back, right? It's, very, it's tough to kill a chicken. Not a lamb. You bring it, 
it's over. And it says, so, so here's Jesus, I didn't fight back, and he didn't. On the cross, his words, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So, the, and, and, and so Jesus didn't fight back, but when he didn't fight back, precisely, the flock scattered. Had he fought, they would have fought with him. Instead, they fled. And so here's the question on the table. Well, you know, what good is a dead shepherd anyway? And here's the answer. Oh, watch this. Only a dead shepherd can rise from the dead. And rising from the dead is precisely what gives our shepherd the capacity to impart to you and I the kind of life that we need. Because the kind of life that we need isn't, isn't a kind of a renewed life, or an improved life, or an informed, uh, reformed life, or disciplined life, or probably motivated life. You don't need a, like a, an improved, altered life. You need a what? New life. You need a life that you don't have because you don't have the capacity to live the life for which you're created. And the new life that you need is life out from the dead. And there's a word, specific word for that in the Greek language. It's called zoe, and this, this word simply means resurrection life. So that when Jesus says in John 10.10, I've come that you might have life, he's not saying, I've come that your, your heart might beat, it's already beating. You have bios life in the Greek language, but what you don't have is Zoe. You don't have this, this life out from death that will now infuse you with all the resurrection quality of Jesus because Christ will take up residence in you, living united with you in your spirit so that you begin to reflect in greater measure day after day after day the heart of Christ. You need a new life. You need Christ's life. And you need not just Christ's life, but Christ risen from the dead, and Christ can only rise from the dead if he dies. <laughs> had Jesus not died, had he stayed and fought, he would not have been able to impart the resurrection life that we need. And what's more, he would never have been able to show us the power of absorbing violence and hate rather than responding to violence and hate with violence and hate. In other words, you, you, we do not respond to violence with violence in order to destroy violence. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. And so it's ours to learn then how to live out from the power of this new life. And when we, when we do learn this, then we will lay down our weapons. And we're no, we no longer are these alpha males, you know, you know, my way, I'm going to beat up on you. Some of us have verbal weapons. Some of us have locked and loaded weapons, and we'll lay them down. It's interesting that the main symbol of Christianity is a cross. It's actually, when we stop and think about it, crazy. And here's why it's crazy. Because this is a symbol in the Roman Empire of execution. Imagine if... Uh, all of us were this morning, you know, wearing around our neck little electric chairs. Just how would that play out, right? Oh, look at you. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, you hug each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, and on top of, you know, buildings, you know, little electric chairs all over the place. Like, what's that about? Like, who are these people obsessed with death? Like, why does... Why is this? Why do we have a cross as the symbol? Here's why. Because the cross is God's declaration in the person of Christ that the kingdom of God wins not by inflicting violence, but by enduring and absorbing violence. That's how God wins every time. There was a guy in the fourth century, early fifth century actually, named Telemachus. He's a monk. 
making his way to Rome uh, to meet with some people. He gets caught up in a crowd and he follows the crowd and he ends up in the Colosseum, you know? And in the Colosseum is where these gladiatorial contests occur, where uh, two soldiers fight to the death for the entertainment of the increasingly disillusioned Roman citizenry who are disillusioned because of you know, high taxation and violence and war and immigration issues and it just all sounds ridiculously familiar. But anyway, they're, they're there and, and, and they're, they're distracted by their version of WWF. Only the difference is these guys fight to the death and one of them will die in a pool of his own blood on the, on the field. So Telemachus is caught up and he ends up in the stands of the Colosseum, sees these two guys and he realizes what's happening. And so he stands up and he just shouts from where he's sitting, in the name of Christ, stop. Of course, nobody pays any attention to him. The fighting continues, he runs down the stairs uh, and he jumps out onto the field. In the name of Christ, stop. Now people are laughing at him. He stands between the two soldiers, in the name of Christ, stop. And now the fighting does stop because this guy is standing between two gladiatory, uh, gladiatorial soldiers. He's standing between them and he shouts in now a silent stadium, in the name of Christ, forbear, end the violence. And now the crowd gets mad and someone shouts, kill him. And one of the soldiers does. And he takes a sword and he runs him through and it's over quickly. And as Telemachus is dying in a pool of his own blood, his last words, in the name of Christ, stop the violence. Colosseum falls silent. One by one, people stand up and leave. And there's never another gladiatorial contest. They ended right there. The emperor ended that activity on that day. Why? Because how do you overcome violence? You overcome violence by absorbing violence. And Telemachus shows us the way, but it's not Telemachus' way. It's the way of Christ, Jesus, right? Sacrificial. That's why he's a good shepherd. Because he, he taught us that uh, we win by absorbing violence. And he absorbed violence in order that he, rising from the dead, might impart to us a new kind of life. If anyone's in Christ, you're a new creation. Not new uh, in in, in uh, time, like, oh, it's a different day than yesterday, you're a different species than you were now because Christ lives in you, in resurrection power. Second, Christ offers solidarity and protection. Let me read verses 12 and 13 of John 10. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who's not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because he's a hired hand, not concerned about the sheep. Interesting, uh, uh, everyone who heard this would totally understand it because you see in Mediterranean culture, if a shepherd faces wolves who'd killed some of the flock, the shepherd facing the wolves is absolved as long as he's able to provide evidence of the dead body of a sheep. In other words, if, if Eric's my shepherd and I have a flock... And, and then I come back the next day and my flock is scattered uh, and, and, and I say, well, what happened? He said, well, I had to run away. As long as he can show me a dead sheep, then I have to say, oh, well, I, I get it. It was, you know, leave or be killed. So, okay. And he's exonerated by virtue of the presence of a dead sheep. Oh, the wolf came. It all makes sense. You left. <laughs> So if you're a hired hand, here's conventional wisdom. Care for yourself first. Don't risk your life to save a member of the flock. And so the result is the hired hand protects when it's easy. 
The hired hand protects when it's daylight. The hired hand protects when there's no wolves around. The hired hand protects when they can have, you know, iPad or iPod earbuds in their, in their ears and they may listen to music and sitting on a, on a hillside or, you know, playing their harp or their flute and drinking wine and watching the sheep, you know, as daisies grow. It's all good. But then as soon as there's a wolf, what happens? Boom, we're out of here. Protection when it's easy, abandonment when it's difficult. Jesus says that's conventional wisdom. And then he says, what makes me a different kind of shepherd is I will be with you in every situation. So that we read in John 10.10 about a thief who wants to come into the sheep pen with the goal of stealing, killing, and destroying. What does that even mean? That means that there are principalities and powers in this world, world forces of darkness, intent on stealing the joy, hope, and peace that should be yours in Christ. And there are some of us in the room who don't know the joy of Christ because it's been stolen, you see. And then or, uh, the, the, there's this situation too where the, the thief wants to kill, killing your capacity to live the life for which you've been created as you get drawn deeper and deeper into sin and destructive behavior. And so the point of the text is this, Christ goes head to head against these forces of darkness so that you might be restored to your rightful place, so that you might live the life for which you're created. In other words, as you move down a path toward destruction, the shepherd intervenes. Uh, I told you last week about my wife's kind of adventures with the, with the sheep in uh, Austria, if you were here, you know, calling, the, the shepherd's calling and the sheep coming down the hill. Well, uh, what I didn't tell you last week is one of the, when they counted all the sheep, one was missing. And how biblical is this, right? Like, oh, there's one missing sheep. Well, what does a good shepherd do when there's one missing sheep? All of you who've been to Bible study, you know, right? Oh, you know, that you leave the 99 and you go, you go back and look. And so the next morning, the shepherd get, gets up and he hikes back up, you know, 3,000 feet out, 1,000 meters back up into the high country, looking for the one sheep that was not with a flock. And he actually finds the one sheep, uh, but, uh, but um, the sad part of the story is that sheep is dead. Now, why was that sheep dead? Well, because the sheep uh, wandered away from the flock to hang out with the goats. I mean, do you love this? This is so biblical, right? <laughs> the sheep was to hang out with the goats, and uh, uh, here's the deal. The goats can go places where sheep can't go, like they can be on rock walls and stuff. You've seen them around here. If you drive around the mountains, you see goats on the, on the hills. They're kind of rock climbing goats and the sheep are incapable of this. So this one sheep is with the goats and then when the goats go, they down climb, the sheep falls to his death. Now, why do I tell you that? Because had the shepherd been there, right, the sheep wouldn't have been able to leave the flock. Because what does a shepherd do? A shepherd stands between the flock and the one who seeks to destroy, right? So the point is, Christ goes head to head against these forces. And let me explain in what sense that's meaningful for you and I today. I want you to know, it's, and it's very important that we hear this. When Christ says he's the good shepherd, the definite article, know this, Christ is the only good shepherd, the only one. There's one shepherd. And you know what this means? This means that our calling as a church is to point each other to Christ as the only foundation. No one, no one else will ever be able to be for you perfectly what Christ alone could be. So when we point people to Christ at Bethany, 
This is what I'm saying. I'm not pointing you to my version of Christ or my understanding of Christ or our organization's vision to, to carry out what we're going to carry out for Christ. No, the only shepherd that is good is Christ. Christ himself, the real Christ. And this Christ, I'm telling you, is relentlessly for you. Uh, wanting to stand between you and forces of destruction so that you might enter into the life for which you're created. So Christ is doing good things in your life in order to protect you, in order that you might grow. He's bringing stuff hidden in darkness into the light. He's bringing people into your life so that when somebody dies, there's somebody there for you. So that when your marriage implodes, there's somebody there for you. So when you choose the low road in life, there's somebody there for you. So Christ, yes, it's Christ, and it's only Christ, but hear me, Christ shows up in the text, Christ shows up in creation, and this is very important, Christ shows up in relationships, right? So that Christ shows up for you in the form of other people. <laughs> and so there are times when you must learn in humility to receive the voice of Christ from other, other people in your lives. And there are times as well when in courage and confidence, you must be the presence of Christ for yet another, right? So you are the presence of Christ for some, you receive the presence of Christ from others. This is how the body of Christ works. There was a time when uh, I was in a social setting and I was misbehaving. And by misbehaving, what I mean by that is like I was just in a bad mood and I was you know, cranky, cynical, angry. Cup is more than half empty. It's leaky and moldy and yucky, right? <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just doing what I do sometimes. I get in this bad mood and then uh, a friend of mine pulled me aside it said, Richard, I'm just going to uh, kind of reflect to you stuff I've heard you say tonight. Dun, 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 dun. And he says these things back to me. I'm getting a little embarrassed. And then this is what he says to me. He says, you're better than that. He just, That's all he said. You're better than that. And we went back in the room, and I went back changed. Why? I'm convinced that the voice of the shepherd spoke to me in that moment, you see. So are we open to hearing the voice of the shepherd? Are we open to being the voice of the shepherd? I hope so, because that's what it means to be the body of Christ to provide this solidarity and protection to one another. And so we live in this tension of knowing that we aren't perfect, but though we're not perfect, we're called to be Christ to one another, and we're called to realize that ultimately it's only Christ who will be our final source of protection. And then finally, this is significant. Christ is for us uh, a source of intimacy. In verse 14, uh, this is what Jesus says. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. What I love about Jesus is he offers different words to different people. In other words, when Jesus is uh, calling some fishermen to follow him, what does he say? He says, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men, right? When he speaks to the rich young ruler, what does he say? Not anything about fishing. He, he says, sell everything, come follow me. Nicodemus, this religious guy, he speaks philosophy, be born again. Uh, Woman caught in adultery, he stands uh, to defend her, he protects her, he saves her, and then he says to her, go and sin no more. To this thirsty uh, Samaritan woman at the well, he says, I, I'm living water. To people to whom he's just fed bread, he says, I'm the bread of life. In other words, watch this, Jesus meets each person uniquely. He doesn't have what I call a tract mentality. He's not saving the masses. Jesus is speaking to each individual. And this is very, very significant. Why? Because each of us uh, needs like specific care. I um, am dealing with a bit of a shoulder problem right now, right? And so 
uh, I did what Americans do. When I was in pain and I didn't know how to solve it, I went to YouTube and I typed in, you know, massive shoulder pain, what do I do? And then, you know, all these videos come up and I watch like 20 of them and try and do all the exercises and lo and behold, my shoulders are getting worse and worse and worse. I can't understand it. They're all promising instant healing. And yet, as a result of my own, you know, self-educated pursuit here, it's a disaster. So finally, I, I went to physical therapy, finally. And then you go to physical therapy, and these gurus that are just amazing to me, they poke and they prod a little bit, and they have you turn your neck and, you know, do things. And then they prescribe these exercises that look absolutely meaningless, right? Here, you know, pull on these rubber bands 10 times a day. What? Come on. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, that, you're right five times a day. It's 10's too much. You know, and then the thing is, you do these meaningless things and you're healed. Why? Because they poked and prodded and gave you, hear me, exactly what you needed. This is Jesus. Everyone who's in the room need from Christ something different, right? And the beauty of the gospel is our, our shepherd knows Everything that can go wrong and meets us exactly where we're at. One shepherd has written a list, this, actually a shepherdess, this woman. She writes about how amazed she is uh, at the number of ways sheep can die. I find this a good list. It's kind of fun. Uh, she, she, says, she says, look, I, my sheep are this hardy Welch mountain breed, so they're stronger than most sheep, actually. In spite of this, they are susceptible to dying by, and then this is her list, Braxy, pulpy kidney, staggers, pneumonia, pastorella, twin lamb disease, cancer, hypothermia in the winter, maggots in the summer, scab, scrappy, foxes, crows, dogs, they push their heads through fences and get stuck, they climb trees to pick at the foliage, and then they get hung up in the tree by their legs, and then they fall on their head and die, they fall down banks, they get bitten by snakes and stung by wasps, they tumble into ponds and streams and drown, they gorge themselves on fallen ash leaves, roll over on their back and blow up like balloons, they poison themselves on ragwort, ram's horn regularly grow in their heads, they starve, freeze, get depressed, and fall ill. Don't you love that list? <laughs> like, how many ways are there to destroy yourself? Oh, many, right? And yet, what she goes on to say, so my job is to know every sign of every disease and intervene. So that when Jesus says to you, I'm the good shepherd, do you know what? That's what he's saying to you. He's saying, I know every way in which you can destroy yourself, and I'm here to tell you, uh, I'm the one who will intervene. This says, there's two things here that we see. A, we can't self-diagnose. Like by the time we do, often it's too late. So Christ shows up in our lives in the form of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction. And as I've already shared, the conviction comes when you open your Bible, the conviction comes through creation, and the conviction comes as Christ speaks to you in community, which is why you need to be in community, which is why you need a community group, as Eric shared a little bit earlier, right? We need to be in relationships where Christ can show up. All of these means are available to reveal the areas in your life where you're climbing into a you know, tree and you're going to hang and fall on your head and all those things that can go wrong. Make no mistake, we're vulnerable. Just like sheep, 
Really? No, no, we're strong. Well, if we're strong, what's up with all the anxiety, shame, lust, greed, fear, bitterness, laziness, workaholism, isolation, addiction to people, pride, self-righteousness, judgmentalism, anger, cynicism, and self-medication that leads to addiction, and family meltdowns, and infidelity, and hypocrisy that are all around us. We're just like sheep. Many ways to self-destruct. And so we can't self-diagnose. We need the Holy Spirit who shows up in the Scripture, in creation, in community, and we can't self-treat any more than sheep can. We need a healer who not only diagnoses but prescribes next steps and empowers us. And a great example of this in the Bible is uh, Jesus' treatment of Peter, if you know the story. Peter had said, when Jesus speaks of his impending crucifixion, hey, you know, everybody else may deny you, not me, man. Stick with you to the end. And then he abandons Christ and he goes out and he weeps and he's filled with shame and condemnation. And when Jesus restores Peter in John chapter 21, it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's unique, right? Jesus is speaking to Peter in a way that the same word would not work for anyone but Peter. And the beauty of the gospel is Jesus speaks to you that way and to me that way. If we're listening. So there's two kind of things that we see here. First, we're invited to draw near to our shepherd, right? And we will in a moment at the, at the Lord's table. But second, you know, Jesus concludes this little section with verse 16 where he says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They'll hear my voice. They'll become one flock with one shepherd. And while that verse is fraught with all kinds of interpretive questions, the one thing we know is this. Jesus is seeking to share his goodness with all people. We know that so that everyone could enjoy the security and shalom and healing power of a good shepherd. So you're called, and I am, not only to draw near to the good shepherd to receive the healing and protection and know the intimacy that we're called to enjoy, so that above the baboon world in which we live, we can know that there's a shepherd who's good. We're called to that. But we're also called then to be the presence of the good shepherd, seeking others by being the presence of Christ in our world. There's a guy named Jim living uh, south of London. And he tells his story of uh, how he ended up beginning a ministry. He was a businessman, goes to church, and walking home every day along a river, there's a flock of sheep across on the other side on the bank. And one day as he's walking home, he sees one sheep uh, leave the flock and begin walking toward the embankment, which is vertical. He shouts to the shepherd. The sound of the river is such that the shepherd doesn't hear this guy. So the sheep keeps going, and sure enough, he falls off into the river. Now, sheep, this sheep will drown. So this guy, in his nice, you know, London suit, he jumps into the river, grabs the sheep, pulls him to the shore, saves the sheep. As he's doing this, this way he says, Jim says, I heard God speak to me. This is your future. What does that mean? Well, with, you know, within a year, he's quit his job, and he began a ministry. And his ministry was literally going out onto the streets and meeting people stuck in addiction, stuck in homelessness, stuck in poverty, building relationship, and holistically moving them toward health with economic and uh, social and emotional and counseling and spiritual. Every, what, what do you need to make you whole? I'm there. And that ministry that he began just himself is now uh, four, 
four different cities all across Great Britain. Why? Because he heard the voice of the shepherd. And the shepherd said, go be the shepherd. And this is us. Draw near, but also be the presence of Christ in our world. We do this as we approach this table, so please pray with me. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather here to hear your voice as the good shepherd. We pray that as we receive these elements now, you would speak to each of our hearts about drawing near, enjoying intimacy with you, enjoying the peace that comes from knowing that you are our ultimate leader and that you're good. May we know that peace and impart that peace, Father, as we receive you now. We pray in Christ's name.